Welcome to Dev Tools Topia, where we have casual and unpretentious conversations about developer tools and the future of the software industry. I'm your host, Kate Catlin. Hello and welcome. Today we have Lauren Carvalho joining us, who is a staff software engineer at LinkedIn. Lauren specifically works on developer tooling. Um, Lauren, can you give us just a Twitter-sized kind of overview of, of your background and how you got to that role that you're in now? Sure, yeah. So I actually uh, dropped out of college and nice. started, started working in the hosting industry uh, as just like a systems administrator. Uh, I moved on from there to a video game company and kind of jumped around until I landed a site reliability engineering job at LinkedIn, where I currently work. Uh, I worked in the SRE org in a couple of different teams over the years, first in core services, then I had a short tenure in security, and finally landed in the tools organization. There was actually like a fledgling SRE group that was supporting all of our internal tools because they had we had kind of reached the scale at which necessitated some SREs to help keep the stuff stable and up. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, I actually made the jump from site reliability over to software engineering, but I stayed in the tools org. And now I'm working on what we call the multi-product team. And that's basically our platform for development at LinkedIn. Every uh, code base is uh, referred to as a multi-product and it's kind of our way of doing uh, how would I put this? Like distributed mono repos. So rather than having like Whoa. a single, a single gigantic mono repo, we have all these individual products that can be as mono or multi as you wish. Like we have certain teams that have a hundred developers working on a single multi product, and then we have other teams where there maybe are like three or four people working on a multi product at a time. Wow. Um, distributed mono repos. I didn't know mono repos could, could be distributed. Um, I'm sure we're going to jump more <laughs> deeply into that. Um, but first of all, LinkedIn must have grown quite a lot during the time when you were a site reliability engineer there. How many, do you know how many users were on LinkedIn when you first joined the company versus now? I remember celebrating some of the milestones over the years. Like I remember 200 million um, nice. I think, that is a I lot think of when users. I, yeah, I think when I started, it was like around 150. And I actually am I'm not even sure what it's up to now. But we've, we, yeah, we've grown pretty significantly over the past decade. So, so this is no small potatoes. Like you have a lot of people to keep a site up for. Uh, yes. <laughs> wow. And how many developers does LinkedIn have? Yeah, well, uh, in, in foundation, uh, the tools org that I'm in, we are supporting somewhere around five or 6,000 engineers. Wow. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people to support. Um, incredible. So, so there's a lot of different things we could talk about with how you keep such a massive infrastructure alive and on the internet every day. But today we're going to talk, I think, about development containers. So... Yes. Before we get more specific there, explain to me like I'm five. What is a development container? I guess the best way to describe it is it's kind of like having a, a lightweight computer within the computer for you to keep your work isolated um, and movable. And, and then is it kind of the point that it's the same on everyone's computer? 
So my yeah. container can be the same as your container. Yes, exactly. So if I'm, you know, if I'm working on a, a container and I, I configure it a certain way, I can send that container image over to you and you can run it and have the exact same environment. Interesting. So we're like cloning a magic snow globe that we can transfer to each other that exists in the world differently than it exists anywhere else. Yeah. And, and that's actually what makes the technology great for developer tooling. You know, a lot of people think about containers in production and running your applications in containers for the security benefits or what have you. Um, but from a developer tooling perspective, if you're able to develop inside of a container and then ship that same image up to the CI infrastructure, build in the same container, and then continue to ship that, that image into production, now you've got an identical environment that you develop in, build in, and deploy in. So there's no surprises about some environment variable being unset or some system level dependencies not being there once you finally get to production. Interesting. Okay, I have a really dumb question for you now. Um, so the container I had always thought of is just where you test stuff on your own computer. But is it also like when I load up LinkedIn.com, am I loading up first your container that you use and then LinkedIn? Or is the container then my computer? I guess like does the container also apply to production is what I'm really asking. Like so when you pull up LinkedIn.com, um, the services that are that are serving that website are running inside of containers on our hardware or in Azure. Wow. So every website you load up is also in the magic snow globe that like everybody tested it in. Potentially. Yeah. Depending on how, you know, you set up your CI CD pipeline and your developer tools and things like that. Is it typical that the container is also used in prod? Is that generally how people do it these days? My understanding is that, you know, if you can build in the same com container that you ultimately deploy in, that's going to be a win just for consistent environment sake. Uh, and we're trying to extend that right now all the way to our developers' uh, actual development experience. So we're hoping to be able oh. to have the same, the same exact environment when you're developing locally, like on your workstation, when you're building in the CI pipeline, and when you're deploying in production. This makes total sense when you explain it like that. Um, okay, so, so I gave it a quick Google and it seems that containers have kind of been around since the 1970s when the first processor came out with that concept involved in it. Um, and then it didn't really happen until the early 2000s and then in the 2010s, like, you know, the crowds went wild for it. Um, why, why didn't people get into it sooner? Like why, what drove it to become so popular where it hadn't been popular before? Um, personally, I think Docker had a lot to do with that. You know, um, like you said, the technology around containers, C groups, network namespaces, things like that, they've existed in the Linux kernel for some time. Um, but what Docker was able to do and, and other, other groups as well, was sort of take all those things and package them neatly into a, a tool, a developer tool that you could use to create these, you know, entities that they called containers, which were really just a combination of um, kernel functionality, you know, C groups for isolating the processes, namespaces for isolating network space and things like that. So suddenly you had 
this ability to create what was effectively like a, a lightweight virtual machine quickly, easily, and then in a format that you could actually like SCP it around inside of your infrastructure. Oh, so like basically this was always a good idea. Docker just made it really easy. Yeah. Oh, okay. That uh, speaks to the importance of developer experience in a dev tool, I guess. 100%. Wow, interesting. Okay, and then and then Kubernetes came around, um, and Kubernetes I think is like a really interesting word that everyone wants to know more about, and most people don't really know what it means. Um, what's your? I'm going to ask this question again, but what's your? Explain to me like I'm five of how Kubernetes works. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the best way to kind of think of Kubernetes is it's it's basically a runtime that you can deploy to multiple nodes, like physical machines, and it will make the resources on those machines available to you to schedule. So if you have a service or a job that you can run inside of a container, you can hand that to Kubernetes and say, run this anywhere that there's two CPUs and four gigs of RAM, and it will figure out where that is, schedule it to run there, and then let you know the status and unless you can control it, you can move things around, et cetera. Oh, so is it like making sure you always have a container available how and when you need it? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Got it. And, and as I understand it, um, so everyone's now worked, moved to remote work. Uh, you and I were both working remotely before the pandemic. And now is all of LinkedIn or most of LinkedIn remote these days? Yeah, at least in, in the States, uh, everybody is working from home right now and will be for, you know, for some time. <laughs> yeah, pretty huge cultural shift happening uh, and also a shift in, in how we build software. So you're now focusing on harnessing containers and Kubernetes to help all those folks working remote. Uh, tell me, you sort of alluded to what you were doing before, uh, but tell me more about that. Yeah, so uh, we already had this project in the roadmap. Um, the project being remote development. That's just kind of what we call it, uh, or RDEV for, for short. So this, this functionality, this feature was already in the roadmap. We were kind of already interested in targeting this. And then COVID-19 happened. Everybody's suddenly working from home and kind of feeling the pain of adjusting their um, you know, approach to work. At LinkedIn, uh, yeah. for example, yeah, like at LinkedIn, for example, we all have... Uh, laptops, you know, uh, for, for doing work, but we also have Linux towers at our desks at the office. Uh, and with everyone working from home, suddenly you don't have access to that Linux tower. And that, Wait, and that was kind of Everyone had key. their own Linux tower at their desk. Yes. Wow. Yes, exactly. Amazing. Okay. Sorry, please go on. And most, yeah, most people used those Linux towers to do their development because they, they were more powerful than, uh, than the, the laptops that we carry around. Those are kind of more for, you know, carry it to a meeting. Um, some folks do their development on their laptop uh, if it's not as CPU intensive compilation, things like that. But a lot of people really relied on those Linux desktops and suddenly not having them meant that they were having to do all their development on their workstation, which tends to be uh, OSX. You know, which is just different than what people might be used to, you know, having, having worked on a Linux machine for so long, et cetera. Uh, so, so we sort of shifted focus and, and kind of pushed up the priority of this RDEV project 
so that we could get people back to environments that they were, were used to and were fast and not kind of bogging down their, their MacBooks trying to build, you know, some large Java service or something. Yeah. So, right. So, uh, we initially targeted folks who are already using VS Code because that's kind of the feature that we're leaning on. VS Code supports this idea of a dev container where you can basically drop a file in your product uh, or drop a file in your project that describes the container image that you want to use. And then what VS Code does is it downloads the image, runs it on a local Docker instance, and then puts your source code inside the container. So all your builds and tests and stuff happen in that, in that um, dev container. And the real benefit of this is that if you've got some system level dependencies, or maybe you want to run like a local instance of MySQL or something like that, all you have to do is set up your development environment once, and then everyone on your team will have access to it. Any new developers that you onboard to your project they get access to this already configured development environment and it just works right out of the box. So what we're doing is we're taking that functionality and we're actually running those containers on Kubernetes. So rather than running the dev container locally, you fire up VS Code and connect to a remote dev container that's running in Kubernetes on a huge piece of machinery with 24 cores and 32 gigs of RAM so that not only is it a consistent development environment that's curated by the product owners themselves, but it's also running on super fast hardware in the same data center that all of our other um, development tool services are running on. So, you know, we have a, a binary store. When you're developing like in the data center, downloading dependencies and things like that is blazing fast. You don't have to wait for it to come through the VPN while you're working from home, you know, traveling all the way across the country to download those bytes, they're, they're just right next door on the rack next to you. Wow. Um, so, you're, so you're able to run it in the same container, the same environment as everyone else, and it runs faster, and it's not like clogging up your own computer machinery from doing anything else. Exactly. Then, uh, wow. So where, and, and I imagine that these like machines that are running it can be anywhere in the world, right? Yes, exactly. And, and we're looking at spinning up clusters of these things closer to our offices in India, um, as well as having them in data centers on the West Coast and the East Coast just to improve that latency. That's amazing. Um, is this a typical approach for larger companies or is, is LinkedIn kind of on the bleeding edge with taking this approach? I feel like we're definitely doing something interesting and new, um, but I don't want to take all the credit. Um, obviously, VS Code supports this functionality out of the box, and that was largely what inspired us to start setting up this infrastructure and start kind of leveraging this feature. Uh, I know that there's definitely other companies that are doing remote dev containers, uh, it, and I don't blame them. It's really cool technology, and it, 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 it's, it's been really well, really well received uh, amongst our engineers. I, oh my gosh, I'm sure um, with the enabling power that you're unlocking there. So, so how long did your team have to spend kind of getting this ready to go for all of your developers to use? 
So fortunately, like I said, because of COVID-19 and everyone going work from home, um, leadership at the company really pushed up priority for this project. So we actually, you know, I'm on the multi-product team and I got pulled into working on remote development because it has so much to do with multi-product. One of my teammates as well also got pulled over. Uh, And then from a few other teams, we drew people and we sort of built this like uh, maybe virtual team of about 10 or 12 folks. And we just kind of hit the ground running, you know, it was like everyone was on the same page. We knew what needed to be done and we just started prototyping really quickly. So actually, um, our first iteration was we were just running the containers via Docker. So we deployed Docker to a few hundred machines and we would schedule the dev containers on those Docker D instances. And now, now we're actually starting to shift into Kubernetes and, and that's allowing us to do uh, some more interesting stuff than just running straight containers on Docker. Wow. So you were able to go get it going pretty quick. Do you think that as the world evolves to more and more remote work that this approach will become more common? Like how do you see this world evolving over the next year or two? As well as we can know what anything is going to happen over the next year or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that um, I think that people are starting to really see how containers can be useful in the developer tooling space. Um, m- you know, more than just developing in a container and whatnot, but uh, we're starting to really incorporate them in our CI CD pipeline in, in interesting ways. So for example, now that we have this Kubernetes cluster where you can schedule a dev container and connect your VS code instance to it, uh, we're starting to explore building inside of the container. And then if that build fails for whatever reason, uh, we can actually take that same container image that we built inside of, schedule it on the Kubernetes cluster, and then connect to it to debug the failed build. Uh, so rather than having to try to reprodu- reproduce the error locally, you can just connect straight to the container that you built in and immediately reproduce it from there. That's, been, that's going to be very useful for uh, those of us in the multi-product team because we're responsible for the CI pipeline. So when stuff fails and people come to us and say, hey, I, this build failed and I'm not sure why, I can't reproduce it locally, like we're eliminating that entire class of, of error because we'll be, able to, you know, we'll, be, we'll be able to reproduce the problem with the click of a button. Is that, is that like rerunning with SSH, like SSHing into the system or is that different? No, that, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, our dev containers, that's how we connect our dev containers um, to VS Code is over SSH. So we actually, our dev container is just running an SSH daemon and that's how we connect VS Code to them. Very rad. Okay, cool. So, so, you know, the next 10 years are even harder to predict than the next one year. But how do you see this industry or this space specifically evolving over the next 10 years or so? Yeah, I think, um, I think you know, as kernel support improves for containerization, they're going to get smaller, faster, more nimble. Um, you know, we're already sort of seeing some of that with uh, the massive improvements in the space. I mean, there's a lot of people who are focusing, a lot of smart people focusing their attention in the container space in, in all different aspects of it. And the technology moves really quickly. I feel like we're always playing catch up. Um, so I don't know exactly where it's going to be in 10 years, but I'm definitely excited to find out. Um, you know, and I hope that I can at least in some small part 
you know, be part of it. <laughs> yeah, so real. And then over the next, I always like to ask people, where are we going to be in a hundred years? Because with the pace of technology changing, who knows? But what's your best guess on on how this works? Do we all just live in a virtual container and have our whole lives there, or <laughs> what, what's your prediction? I think that the future is going to, we're going to see a lot more um, low code and no code kind of tools. Like uh, if you've seen Amazon Honeycode or companies like Bubble, um, I really feel like this is, this is kind of going to be the future. A lot of engineers feel like it's sort of the beginning of the end of, you know, programming as a pr- profession as things move oh, wow. kind of more towards like what you see is what you get sort of editors and things like that. But Personally, I like to think of it as a new era of developer tooling. I mean, you know, people Mm. are going to be responsible for supporting and building those tools. And that's really exciting for me. Right. Because you can kind of drag and drop a UI, but like managing the back end and making sure the site stays alive is still a whole thing, capital T. Well, not only that, but I mean, even, even building the interfaces to drag and drop, you know, like. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah, there, there's always going to be opportunity for us in engineering to, you know, do interesting and fulfilling work. And I feel like tools like, you know, these low code, no code tools like Honey Honeycode or Bubble or Netlify, things like that. I think, you know, they're expanding the type of work that we do every day to a bigger and bigger audience. And I feel like that's only going to be beneficial in the long term. Let's let's hope so. Um, yeah, I, I happen to like working in this industry, so I'm Same. looking forward to the future. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Lauren, where can people see more about you or learn more about your projects and work? Sure, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Obviously, um, you know, and I'm I'm on all the all the I'm everywhere. I'm on the Twitters and the GitHubs and all that stuff. <laughs> all the all the standard social medias. Yeah. Great. We will link to those in the podcast description. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for answering so many of my questions, Lauren, and have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is great. <laughs>